Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. Revelation chapter 19. So we have been going for quite some time. We've been going through part nine of the book as I divided it on my outline, which is the largest section of the book from Revelation 14 through 20. And I've just entitled that on the outline as the second coming of Jesus. And in chapter 19, we're actually going to see the second coming of Jesus. And um, so chapter 19, I've entitled this section, The Return of the King. And there's a continuation of things related to the second coming of Jesus, to the episode of the second coming of Jesus in chapter 20 also that we'll get to. I want to remind you that not everything we're reading is um, in our kind of chronological order, the way we like to think with our Western minds and the way we would like for things to be written, especially with our modern internet minds. We would like just to have a you know, a few bullet points that just set it all out there for us, what order that it's going to happen. And by the way, God, could you please tell us what day and what year this is going to happen and what hour of the day. So if we're not ready, we'll be able to get ready there uh, at the last minute. And of course, the message of the book of Revelation is that we live our lives ready. Amen. So chapter 19, uh, let's open up with a word of prayer and I'll begin with verse one. Father, I just thank you for your word this evening. I pray that you would help me by your Holy Spirit to convey the things that you've put in my heart, Lord, that you would speak beyond, uh, beyond me, that you would speak to us, Lord, to each one of us, that our hearts would be open and we would have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to begin by reading verses 1 through 6 of chapter 19, and then we're going to talk about that just for a minute. It says, After these things I heard something like a loud voice, of a great multitude in heaven. So imagine what that sound would be like. Saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, because his judgments are true and righteous, for he has judged the great harlot. Remember, we just finished chapter 17 and 18, looking at the judgment on the great harlot of Babylon. For he has judged the great harlot, or as I explained to you better, the word prostitute, uh, who was corrupting the earth with her immorality. And he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 20, we're going to get to the lake of fire that's coming up here at the end of this. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders, here they come back, and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne. Saying, so this takes us all the way back to the beginning chapters. The 24 elders and the four living creatures around the throne on which sits the Father God, fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. I imagine like, you know, Niagara Falls with peals of thunder. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. So this is the great four hallelujahs in the book of Revelation. I'm sure you were suddenly struck by uh, the uh, repetition of this word, hallelujah, that hasn't been in the book of Revelation up until this point and really isn't in the New Testament because it's a Hebrew Old Testament word that we use quite, quite often. And people mostly use it not in the sense of what it means, in the sense of giving praise, but kind of in jest, usually. But the word hallelujah in the Hebrew means praise ye, praise you, Yah. And Yah is the name of God, he who is Yahweh. So praise, give praise to Yahweh. It's a cry of praise for God's presence, for his return, and for his deliverance. I say his presence because the very name Yahweh means I am who I am. It means he who is. So it's giving praise to the one who is, the one who is present, the one who has returned, the one who has brought deliverance to us. Let me take just a minute and go over to Psalm 149. Psalm 149. 
in Psalm 149, which is the second to last psalm in our Bible. There's one more psalm in the Russian Bible, by the way. I could explain that some other time. But in Psalm 149, uh, beginning with verse 4, it says, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. That's what we're reading about here. Let the godly ones exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written, this is an honor for all his godly ones, praise the Lord. What we see in uh, Revelation chapter 19 in the second coming of Jesus, that perhaps we're not used to thinking of Jesus in this way, we see how he's coming and he is a militant Lord. He's coming to make war upon the earth. He's coming to bring judgment upon the earth. He's coming to deliver all of his godly ones that, their, that his praise would be in their mouths and there would be a sharp and two-edged sword in their hand. That we will take part in this judgment. We will take part. We will come back together with Jesus and we will take part in this that we read about in chapter 19. We're not really used to thinking like that. I mean, we're used to our army going over to some faraway countries and, and fighting some wars, you know. But in general, we're very, you know, passive people, or we've become very passive people because we've become quite lazy in our comfort and in the ways that, that we live. But we need to understand what all the apostles and what the Christians of the first century understood and what Paul makes, makes very clear and Peter makes very clear, why they did not hold on to anything of this earth. Because everything of this earth is passing away. And when Jesus comes back, he will bring complete destruction to all the kingdoms of this earth, uh, to all that is the great whore of Babylon, to all the nations of this earth, to the beast, the Antichrist, to the beast, the false prophet, to the beast that has uh, been tormenting the Christians. So there's nothing wrong, what I want to say, first of all, with being militant. I don't know if you've ever heard this church, this word, this phrase. It's an old Catholic phrase, but it's the church militant. The church is called to be militant. The church is called to fight a battle. But our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus, we see, is the Lord of hosts. The Lord, you know, when I used to hear the term Lord of hosts, when I was a kid, I would think of like a host or a hostess serving a dinner. But of course, it doesn't mean that. Host means armies. He is the Lord of armies. And it's a very common term, very common name of the Lord that we see in the Old Testament. And we see Jesus coming as the Lord of hosts here, as the Lord of armies. So these four hallelujahs come here. They come in response to a call to praise him that says, Give praise to our God that comes out from the throne all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Now I want to just you to notice a few things about this. First of all, it says that this is a loud voice of a great multitude, and this great multitude is located in heaven. Okay? Now go with me over to chapter 11. Chapter 11, and it says in verse 15, at the beginning of the seventh trumpet. And I remind you, 1 Corinthians 15 51 and 52, and other verses we looked at, the seventh trumpet is the last trumpet. And the last trumpet is the time of the rapture resurrection event. It's the time of the beginning of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so we see here in chapter 11, verse 15, it's not seven years before this happens. It's at the end of the seven-year period at the end of the 1260 days, at the time of the last trumpet. And Paul says that very, very clearly. And so it says in chapter 11, verse 15, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And then the 24 elders, it goes on from there. So you see these loud voices at the time of the seventh trumpet. And those loud voices are continuing all the way up to the moment of the second coming of Jesus. Now, there's no way 
that any one of us could say with 100% certainty that we know the exact chronology of these very last of the last days. Okay? Because even Jesus said that it's not been revealed to me the day or the hour. Only the Father knows that. Jesus said that. Now, whether he knows the day or the hour now, I don't know. But when he was on earth, he said that I do not know the exact day and the exact hour, that we need to know the season. But what is revealed to us is revealed to us. There is a seventh trumpet. And the seventh trumpet is the time when we who are alive and remain, not everyone will be dead by that day, right? And there will be some Christians, many Christians, millions, I think perhaps a billion Christians, will be alive on the day that Jesus is coming. And we who are alive and remain, we're not going to be stuck in these bodies. We're not going to get left behind. First, the dead in Christ are going to rise, and we'll read about that in chapter 20. And then we who are alive and remain, we will be caught up. And that word caught up is where we get the term rapture. We will be caught up into that cloud that Jesus is coming in. And we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. We will get our resurrection body without dying. Okay? And that's a mystery, Paul says. It's not something I have to explain. It's something we just believe. Because it's a mystery. And it's stated in, in the scripture as a doctrine that we just believe in many different places. And so that's going to happen. Well, there's a possible timeline here that we can look at, because it begins with the seventh trumpet. We already see these loud voices in heaven. We already see these people in heaven. So it's very possible that right at the beginning of that, and this is actually the way I see this for a lot of reasons, and I've already taught on a lot of these things, right at the beginning of that is when this first resurrection happens, when the seventh trumpet sounds. And those who are alive and remain are caught up and they're given a new body and they're changed in the twinkling of an eye. But there's still, according to the timeline that Daniel gives, and I'm just saying this is possible. <laughs> when we get there, we'll know. But according to the timeline Daniel gives, there are 30 days left because there are 1,260 days and then 1,290 days. And so what we read in from chapter 11 all the way here to chapter 19 are many different things. There's a description, a, a long description in chapter 12 of the main protagonist and antagonist and who the dragon is and that this is Satan and what the dragon is doing in the last days, okay? And then we go from the dragon to the beast, number one. And then we go from beast number one to beast number two. And then we go from there uh, into chapter 14 where we again see the people in heaven and they're called the 144,000. We talked uh, about that and how that number is symbolic. We see this great cloud of witnesses in heaven that are gathered together. So they're in heaven in chapter 11 uh, at the sound of the last trumpet. They're in heaven uh, here at chapter 14. And then it goes from there and takes a step back and gives us a revelation about Babylon um, and uh, about the seven, first about the seven bowls being poured out and how this is God's wrath. And you remember the scripture says in 1 Thessalonians that we are not destined for God's wrath. So they're not being poured out on the church because we're in heaven already. And all this is happening in 30 days, you know, just according to a possible timeline that we see in Daniel. But it is a short period of time because Jesus said that those days will be cut short. And if they were not cut short, then even the very elect would not remain. We would not survive. So those days will be cut short for the salvation of the elect, for the salvation of the church. And so the seven bowls of God's wrath are poured out. And then we read about this, this detailed description of the fall of Babylon. And now we're back in chapter 19. And again, there's a great cloud of witnesses in heaven who are proclaiming with a loud voice basically the same thing they've been proclaiming in 11 and in 14 and now in chapter 19. So there's a picture that you can see in, uh, in these chapters that puts this all together as the second coming uh, of Jesus. So look at verse uh, 20. Look at verse 20. In verse 20, it says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. I'm going to talk about some things now that maybe aren't so easy to talk about. It might sound like I'm getting off on a tangent, but I'm not, I promise you, because it's a scriptural tangent, so it's not a tangent. Um, uh, the judgment coming on uh, the whore, the harlot, the prostitute 
of Babylon is very obvious a judgment that's coming, at least in part, on our nation too. Okay, there just can be no doubt about that when you read the description of Babylon. It may include many other nations too, but it's this world system that we live in for sure, and it, you know, if, if nowhere else on earth, we definitely live in it in the United States. And I, like you, pray that there will be revival in our nation. I, I, I do. It's a daily prayer of mine. And I believe that there can come revival in the midst of judgment. So I want to see that. I want to see more people get saved. I want to see more people in the ark. There are people I personally know that I know they need to get in the ark before this comes. And we should feel a great sense of um, spiritual pressure about that, that we need to be working to bring the harvest in. Because you can only harvest, everybody that grows things around here knows, if you leave it out there and you don't harvest in time, then it'll be spoiled. It'll be, it'll be ruined. And Jesus said the harvest is already white. It's already ready. And we should be praying for the Lord of the harvest to send those laborers into the harvest. But we should not be clinging so much to the comforts and the system and the history and the heritage and all the things that we love as Americans, clinging to the things of this world. And I'd preach the same message if I was in a different country now. But I'm not. I'm here in America. <laughs> and, and thinking that this is just going to continue on forever. Because it absolutely is not. And I think today that if this fall of Babylon were to happen tomorrow, that many of us would not be rejoicing about that. We would be weeping about that. We would be on the side of the uh, people of the earth who stand back and they weep because Babylon fell. Because our focus has been on the luxuries and the comforts of Babylon. And you don't have to be rich to be focused on those things. You know, our focus has been, we thought for years, let me get the mortgage paid off, let me get the, uh, you know, retirement, let me get this, let me get that. And then the question always is, and what then? What after that? Because we're not taking any of that stuff with us, and we know that, right? And so is our focus, I think a part of chapter 19 is really to draw us to that first love. Remember what he says to the church in Ephesus, that you've left your first love, to come back to that, to come back to that and focus on that. Because what we see here is a church in heaven that is ecstatic about God judging Babylon on earth. They are so happy about it, and they are called to be happy about it. They are rejoicing. They shout out four hallelujahs about it. They're so happy about it. And I don't really see that we're there yet as the people of God in our nation today. I'm not saying that we should be uh, praying for the nation to crumble to pieces or anything like that. Now, I mean, that's you know, not what I'm saying at all. But Elijah was called by God to pray that there would not be rain on the land because judgment needed to come to cleanse the land. And so God can have us pray for revival in many different ways. And we should not be focused on the future of our nation, our focus has to be on the future of our real home, on the future of the kingdom of God in our lives. I can tell you this evening, and this is where I'm going to sound like I'm going to get off on a tangent just for a minute, but before I do, look at uh, chapter 18, verse 18. It says, they were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what city is like the great city? So see, there's two cries here. There are two loud noises being made. And we need to decide which... Uh, side of the uh, stadium we're going to be sitting on. What team are we going to be cheering for? Because one team's going to win and the other team's going to lose. And all these people of the world that are on the losing team side, on Babylon's side, they're, they're crying out in pain about this. Okay? They're weeping because of this. And all the people that are in the Jesus side in the stands, they're rejoicing over the victory of Jesus. We need to understand that there can't be a victory of Jesus or a kingdom of God on this earth in the present state of things. It has to be cleaned up. You know, you might be having company come over to your house, and your house is a total disaster. And you know, I can't have company come over if I don't clean the house up first. You know, or it could be any other, you know, Jerry was just telling me about his side-by-side. -side. I can't drive it till I get the clutch fixed. Things have to be put in, in order first. And so we need to understand that. And I, I believe we need to begin to rejoice in that today with expectation of the coming of our Lord. Jesus is not coming back at some sissy, you know, 
dressed in a Hawaiian shirt. I'm not sissy, but I've got a Hawaiian shirt on. But, you know, I wouldn't go to battle in a Hawaiian shirt, would I? You know, he's coming back as the Lord militant. He's coming back as the Lord of hosts to bring judgment upon this earth and to establish his kingdom. It's actually what it means to be an evangelist. It's actually what it means to preach the gospel in the Greek mind in the first century when these things were written. The evangelist is the one who would go before the conquering general or king and proclaim the victory that's coming to this city and tell the people, you need to repent. You need to bow before my king or you'll be destroyed. And oftentimes those evangelists, the military evangelists, the herald that went before, they'd be persecuted for that. But when the king really did show up, he's going to kill all the people that persecuted his herald. Okay, And and that's what we see here in chapter 19. So here we go off on a little tangent. It's going to sound weird at first, but go with me over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I, there, there are different roads I could go off on here, but I, I picked this by the Holy Spirit, I believe, and I just want to focus on this uh, for a minute. Go with me over to Romans chapter 1, because this is huge in, in Romans chapter 1, okay? And Romans chapter 1 is, is a very important chapter in uh, the, the New Testament that's establishing that there is a general revelation in which God is revealed to every person on this earth, and every person is absolutely without excuse before God. Okay, And then it goes into revealing to us that there is a special revelation, the, the Bible, uh, but really it's Jesus first and the Bible that every person can know God if they'll receive the general revelation that we see in the world around us, they can come to really know God through Jesus Christ. And it answers a lot of questions, actually, like, things I'm not going to get into tonight, like what about civilizations where they never heard God's word before and all these kinds of things, because people can know God just through nature around them, if they just wake up and they look. And in, in this, this anthem that's at the beginning of Romans chapter 1, suddenly he starts talking about homosexuality, and it sounds really weird, almost, okay? But it doesn't sound weird to anybody that w- was born and has lived since the 1980s when AIDS showed up, and now we've got monkeypox and whatever else. And verse 24, uh, look at Romans 1, 24. He says, therefore God, and I'm talking about this rejoicing. I'll explain it in a minute. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. What do you think Darwinism is? What do you think evolution is? That's a worship of the creature rather than the creator. It's the age we live in. Who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them, because they exchanged the truth for a lie, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. They received it in their own body, the disease, the destruction in their minds and in their body. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. And then it goes on from there. But see, this is actually something really important that's in Romans chapter 1. I don't know if you know this, but uh, I am personally am elated that the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. It's wonderful. Uh, but as soon as the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, people in conservative, mainly conservative Kansas, vote that they want to have abortion anyway. And, you know, ultimately, if we've gone so far away from the things of God, the Supreme Court isn't going to change anybody's heart. People's hearts are changed by the presence and by the word uh, of God. But do you know that Roe v. Wade didn't just appear on the scene out of nowhere? It's the product of what was called the sexual revolution. Now, I was born and raised in those times. And uh, actually... On the, on the big scale of things, what happened when gay marriage was um, uh, formalized by that same Supreme Court, different judges, but the Supreme Court, maybe that'll get overturned too, I don't know. But when that was formalized and just, uh, it was right before I moved here. 
And it was so strange for me. Suddenly, every state has gay marriage. I just couldn't believe it. Where am I moving back to? What has happened to the country that I was born in? I had a special experience of living outside this country for over 20 years. And so I, ha I was able to see the difference that sometimes we don't see when we're in the middle of something, that it's not the same country anymore. It's completely different. Same constitution, same name, all that kind of stuff, but not the same country because the nation is the people, and it's a different people today. And uh, do you know that actually on, in the big, on the big scale of things, that is more foundational to the sin and the perversion that's in our nation than even abortion? Because abortion is a product of that, of the perversion that God has allowed, according to Romans 1, us to sink into because we exchanged the truth for a lie and because we knew God, but we rejected God anyway. It would be one thing if we had never known God. But to know him and then to reject him, you know, it just begins to spiral completely out of control. And we've see that, seen that happen. Now go with me over to just hang on. And I have a point to this. Go with me. Uh, it's good teaching anyway, but I do have a point to this that ties us into Revelation. Go with me over to Leviticus chapter 20. Read, read for you a few scriptures from the Old Testament that when I was a kid and I'd read through the Bible, because I did that read through the Bible in the year, these, these, these verses freaked me out. They still freak me out. Le Leviticus chapter, but there they are, right there in the Bible. So it's all fair game to read from the pulpit. Leviticus chapter 20, and uh, sorry, Leviticus chapter 20, and uh, look at verse uh, 13. And I'm just going to read a few of these. Verse 13, it says, if there is a man, this is in the law, if there is a man, who, and I read from the New Testament first, because I want you to understand that these things did not change. People try to say that today. Oh, that's Old Testament. Yes, but it's repeated in the New Testament. So it did not change. It's not like you know, eating pork or something like that. Okay? This did not change. And it says, uh, you know, the punishment for it perhaps it doesn't exist, but what, how God sees it is what hasn't changed. It says in um, verse 13, if there is a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. It's as if they committed murder. They sinned against the earth. Do you know that murder, first and foremost, uh, and anybody that does a Becca could tell you this, that the uh, basic law that's established in the Bible on which all other laws are built is capital punishment, actually. Because both in the beginning... And with Noah, and then again uh, with Moses, this is established. Because you have sinned against the earth. Remember, you have sinned against God's land. Because man is made from the dust of the earth. And it's kind of, it sounds kind of complicated, but it's actually quite poetic. Uh, when Cain killed Abel, uh, God said that the blood of your uh, brother is crying out to me from the earth. However, there's also an interesting thing there that has to do with mercy. Because God actually did not put Cain to death, that had mercy on him, if you remember. So we see God's mercy from the very beginning. But remember, there is no mercy without judgment. It's not called mercy if there's not judgment that underlies reason for that mercy. So it says, you know, if a man does this, then he should die. His blood, their blood guiltiness is upon them. Then it says, if there is a man who lies with a male, oh, that's verse 13, I read that. Then it says, if there is a man who marries a woman and her mother, that's gross. It is immorality. Both he and they shall be turned with burned with fire so that there will be no immorality in your midst. Now, what I want you to notice here is that there was a time when anybody in America would have read verse 13. And what, you know, most people in America, vast majority of Americans would have read verse 13. And they would have said, yeah, that is wrong. That's, that's gross. I don't even want to read about that. But today, that's being taught to our youth as normal that that's good, and that that's right. Well, verse 14, we still think that's gross. You know, somebody married some woman and then married her mother also. And then in verse 15, it says, if there is a man, I don't even want to read this, but if there's a man who lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death. You shall also kill the animal. If there's a woman who approaches any animal to mate with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. I hope we haven't gone so far that we think that's normal. Because everybody is revolted when they even read those verses. But we're not about verse 13 anymore. I'm not saying you're not, but as a culture, we're not anymore. And by the way, when you start with verse 13, it's not very long before you have pedophilia, 
bestiality, and all these things that are brought into the norm. It's already happening. Believe you me, it's already happening. It's already in films. It's already in television shows. It's already being joked about, just like they joked about homosexuality in films and television shows in the beginning, and suddenly it became the norm. I don't know if you remember that. But it all began as a joke, you know? <laughs> and then it's the norm. It's the way we want to raise our kids. And it says, and it, it, go, it goes on from there. Uh, but look uh, down at verse 22, because you can go through the whole list if you want. But in verse 22, it says, you, this is tied into what I just read. You are therefore to keep all my statutes and all my ordinances and do them so that the land to which I am bringing you to live will not spew you out. What's happening in America today? The, the very land is spewing us out. The land is revolting against us in first Corinthians, I mean sorry, in Romans, another place there, Paul writes that the whole creation is groaning in travail, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. When is this going to be over and these people are going to get resurrected from the dead and be normal? When are they going to treat the earth with the honor that God they were created and made out of the dust of the earth? And yet we've revolted against the earth to the point we've revolted against nature. We revolt against our, our very nature, okay? I mean, I used to do with youth groups a lot of teaching on sexuality and things like that and uh, important teaching and good teaching. And one of the things I always start out with is you don't need to be ashamed of it. God created every single human being as a sexual being. It's, it's how we are created. It's this great power of God, perhaps the greatest power of God manifest in our physical bodies that we can give birth to a child that we can bring into this earth another human being. The power of God's creativity that's in us. And we've revolted against that creativity. We've revolted against the power of God that's, that's in us. I mean, most people, if they have one kid, they think they've done their duty. And man, I got a kid. That's enough. I got two. I don't need any more kids. And I'm not going to preach on how many kids you need to have or anything like that. But the general idea that a big family is a blessing is gone from the church is gone from our society. And I'm telling you, I've got a lot of kids. Stephen's got a lot of kids. And you always get looked at weird if you've got a lot of kids. <laughs> Where it used to be, that was a position of honor. Oh, honorable father, patriarch, you know, and things like that. And they think, he's nuts. You know, what do you got a lot of kids for? But it's there in the Bible, isn't it? And, but that begins with the ease of birth control, you know, all these things that lead into the sexual revolution, blah, 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 all that stuff. Everybody knows about it. But if you just look at it over the course of the 20th century, it ends with things like gay marriage and all the perversities that we see today. It's, it's a progressive uh, uh, sin that's at work on the inside of this nation. And the, the land is literally spewing us out. And so if there's going to be any revival in this land, and we'll talk more about this on Sunday, but it's going to begin exactly like the beginning of the ministry of Jesus with John the Baptist, some way, people preaching repentance and calling people to repentance and speaking the truth because there can't be revival uh, without, without that re repentance. So it says that the land uh, will spew you out. And then it says in verse 23, Moreover, you shall not follow the customs of the nation, nations, which I will drive out before you. For they did all these things, and therefore I have abhorred them. So why is that list of disgusting things even there in the Bible? Because the Israelites knew very well that's what the Canaanites do. That's what the Canaanites do. They do all these terrible things. And so God just had to make it really clear to them. You don't do those things. Not because you won't be tempted. You know, I preach about this Sunday. Anybody can be the good, the bad, or the ugly. We're, it's all inside of us. It's all possible to be. You can be tempted in anything you, that you, you may be tempted in. You know, I've talk, talked to people before, and I'm, you know, like I said, it sounds like a tangent, but believe you me, there's a reason for this. <laughs> that uh, I've talked to people before that say, well, I, I just can't help it. That's just how I feel. I'm just homosexual. You know, they use other words instead of the, that term. And I say, oh, really? Well, I'm just heterosexual. I can't help it, so I just have to sleep with every woman on the planet. That's, that's just a lie. Just because you're tempted and you feel something doesn't mean that the whole purpose of, of, of the life of Christ on the inside of us is that we would put our flesh under, that we would train our flesh. I mean, how are we going to be blessed in this life if we do everything that we feel? When I was a kid, I remember my brother had a t-shirt. This was real popular in the 70s. It had three monkeys on it, you know, 
doing that thing where they cover their ears, eyes, and mouth, and it said, if it feels good, do it. I don't know why my mom bought that stupid t-shirt for him, but I love that t-shirt because it had those monkeys on it. But for some reason, they just you know, that was the theme of the 70s. If it feels good, just do it. And, and this is what it's brought, it, brought us to. No, if it feels good, that doesn't mean you should do it. It may very well mean you shouldn't do it. Okay? And, and that's what the scripture teaches us, to grow up and be mature. Not be babies in Christ who just are carried about by every wind of doctrine and we just do everything that we want to do. Of course, there would have been a time when I would never even need to talk about this kind of stuff to Christians. But you know very well. I mean, in this very town, there are churches that, that preach that homosexuality is a normal uh, a lifestyle, uh, also ordained by God just like anything else. I, I just, you know, it's, it's just mind-boggling when you get your mind out of the uh, sphere of the internet and focus it in the Bible. How far off track we are. You know, how far we have, you know, sin means to miss the mark, literally, in the Greek. It means a missing of the mark, and in the Hebrew also. So, I mean, how far off we are from the bullseye. I mean, it'd be one thing if we were at least on the outer edge and got a point, but we're not even on the target. You know, our darts or whatever have gone in to the neighbor's yard somewhere. I mean, we've completely missed the whole thing. And, and uh, we're so far off, and we need to repent. We need to get back. We need to hear the truth. We need to hear the truth for our lives. So now look at Deuteronomy 22. I'm not going to finish chapter 19 tonight, I promise you. But that's okay. We've got plenty of time. Pete, Pete wants me to repeat Revelation from the beginning anyway. So <laughs> we'll just take our time here. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 22 um, and, and verse 5. It says, a woman shall not wear man's clothing. What? Nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing. That's not talking about women shouldn't wear pants. Okay? What it's talking about is, I already talked about this from 1 Corinthians, where it says, doesn't even nature itself teach us that, uh, uh, you know, that a, long, uh, a man shouldn't have long hair, that it's a shame for him. And we talked about that when I was uh, talking about 1 Corinthians 11, that all of nature shows us you know, when it comes to the higher animals of nature, you can tell if it's a boy or a girl, right? And that, so in Deuteronomy, there's actually a law in the Old Testament uh, here in verse 5 that says, if you're a man, you should dress like a man. Now, remember, men wore dresses back then. So obviously, this isn't the same. Women can't wear pants today. Men wore long, flowing robes, you know. If you're a Scottish Highlander and you're wearing a, a skirt, kilt thing, that's okay because that's what the guys wear where you are. But people should know you know, by looking at you, whether you're a man or a woman. And it sounds so old-fashioned, so old-school, so stupid today to even say stuff like this. It makes you just, it makes you, just you know, people are going to laugh at you if you say this. Oh, that's so Old Testament. You know, but I'm going to show you this in the New Testament. A woman shall not wear a man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. So that's an abomination to the Lord your God, to do these things. Okay? That's what it says in the Old Testament. Now look at the New Testament. Do you think Jesus might have talked about that? Yeah, he actually talked about that, strangely enough. In Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 11, look at this. Matthew chapter 11, uh, it says in verse 8, uh, he's, talk, he's talking about John the Baptist. Uh, the, Jesus began to speak to the crowds in verse 7 about John the Baptist. Um, and it says, what did you go out into the wilderness? Jesus says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? He asked again. A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. And then he goes on. In the vernacular that Jesus is using, in the, the, with the words that are written here, uh, in the, it comes out in English, but if you read this in the original Greek, it's so strong. What, what he's saying is that a prophet of God is really a man of God. Now, it could be there are women prophets also. But this is a person who's a real man, a strong man. He's not a reed shaken in the wind. He's not some sissy wearing soft clothing. And he says, if you want to find the sissies, <laughs> you're going to have to go to the king's palace. Because that's where you're going to find all of them. Okay, This prophet is a man of God. And the word, it's very interesting, that Jesus uses here that's given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Matthew chapter 11, where it says soft clothing. If you'll notice, 
most of your Bibles should have the word clothing in italics because it's not there in the original Greek. It says a man dressed in soft, okay, or softness. He says if you want to find a man dressed in softness, you go to a king's palace. The word uh, here in the, in the original Greek is a word that's pronounced malakos, malakos, and it means softness. But when it's applied to people, it, it's applied to a man, and it's, it's in the New Testament like this, it means someone who's a man, but he's effeminate. Whether he dresses in women's clothing, whether he has an overtly effeminate attitude, and it doesn't just mean, you know, some, some guys maybe don't have a beard, and some guys do have a beard, but, you know, somebody that's, and it was the word, it was the standard word, sorry if this sounds terrible, but it's in the Bible, okay? The standard word for a male prostitute or for the passive member of a homosexual relationship, okay? That's the word malakos, and Jesus uses it here. He says, you're not going to find that among the people of God. You're not going to find that among the prophets of God who are standing militant as men, and we'll add, and women, because women, you know, but as the men of God, as the sons of God. That's who John is, you know. And, and we see that John is, is that man, dressed in rough clothing, right? eating, you know, the locusts and the wild honey, you know, a man's man kind of thing. And we, you know, basically, don't, that's not accepted in our society today. We've been emasculated, as they say. But the church cannot be emasculated because Jesus doesn't come back as a sissy in chapter 19. I don't know where I'm getting this word sissy. It's like I'm back in the 70s again. But, you know, I don't want to use any bad words here. So, but he, he doesn't come back effeminate. He comes back as a militant warrior in chapter 19. Okay, so now go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're almost done with this, and we'll get back on the road of chapter 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says in verse 6, uh, but, well, we can go to verse 7. So he's talking about uh, taking Christians taking each other to court in the courts of the world. Everybody knows this chapter. And he's talking about how uh, you, we, we shouldn't be doing this, that, that it's shameful to do this. And, and, and he's calling them to, to decide things with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit inside of the church. Okay? He's portraying for them a portrait of what the church should be but isn't and isn't today. That it should be the place where we come together and we settle our differences. We make that peace with one another by the Holy Spirit. And um, he says, if, you, if, you, if you, you, you're going to courts in the world because you don't want to be defrauded. But look at verse 7. It says, actually then, it is already a defeat for you. Just because you went to the court, you're already defeated. Because you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud each other. And you do this even to your brethren. And then verse 9 he says, or do you not know that the, un, listen this, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's not telling these people you're going to go to hell. It's, it's just, these are these warnings in the Bible that are just like parents do for their kids. He's telling them, you better stop on the road you're going on because it's a road that leads to hell. And you don't want to go there. Get things in order. Get things right. He says, do not be deceived. And then he gives this list. Neither fornicators... If you don't know what a fornicator is, we won't go into a long explanation, but the Greek word is pornos. Everybody knows what that is. Neither fornicators nor idolaters. And notice that it says fornicators, idolaters. This doesn't mean, and you shouldn't read into this, oh, well, I've done that sin in my life. I'm doomed. That's not what it means. It means people who practice that lifestyle and call evil good and good evil and say that this is right, this is how God made me, you know, I can't help it, that's just how God made me, instead of, instead of struggling against that sin to overcome that sin, which I believe is what, for example, something like Celebrate Recovery is all about. You know, acknowledging that we are in this flesh, and we have a battle in this flesh, but we can overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and not, not giving up in that battle. So uh, he talks about fornicators, pornos, idolaters. Uh, and then he says, nor adulterers, and that means adultery. And then it said, but then look, it says, nor effeminate. That word effeminate, effeminate, malakos, the exact word Jesus used. 
cross-dressing, transgenderism, whatever it's called, all these things. Do you know that in our school, we had to spend money from the public budget to build a transgender bathroom? I found out about that from Terry, first of all, when they started doing that. I just found out last week why. Because our school board, and I don't want to knock him on the school board if I don't have to, but hey, it's right there. Our school board heard from the governor that they're going to, they're, we're going to lose funding if we don't do it. Personally, if I was on that school board, and I probably would have got kicked off for it, but if I was on that school board, I would have said, well, governor, as my dad used to say, well, I can't say that. I'm in the poll, but, but anyway, forget you, governor. It wasn't a bad word, just kind of a rude phrase. But, you know, just you go ahead and cut off our funding. You know, we'll take you to court. We'll do what we have to, or we'll make it work in our own county without you. You know, but no. Why? Well, we decide, well, that's not that big of a deal. Just build a transgender bathroom. No, it's huge. Because then we are telling the children that this is good and this is right. We're calling, by building it and spending money on it, we're saying that evil is good and good is evil, and this really isn't that big of a deal, and that's just how God created you, and it's okay. When it's not in the Scripture, not in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. It doesn't mean people aren't tempted with these sins, and it doesn't mean that people should be under condemnation because they're tempted. I mean, right there you have heterosexual things and homosexual things in the same list. You've got idolatry, you're going to have thieves, you're going to have getting drunk in the same list, okay? So it's not, there's not some big condemnation or something you should freak out about with this. But it's there in the list, okay? But everything else in the list, we still know as a culture that it's wrong. Well, not adultery anymore. And not, all the sexual things, we're okay with it now. Let me put it that way, okay? But we still know it's wrong to steal. We still know it's wrong, well, covetousness, I guess we're okay with that. But it's still wrong to get drunk and drive. You know, that's a huge sin now. You know, swindlers, they're, they're really bad. We'll put them in jail still. Uh, but the other things, we've made peace with those as a culture. Just, th just think about that. We've made peace with those things as a culture. We say that that's how God made us. That that's, if we believe in God, we say that's how he made us as a culture. It's preached everywhere. So it says, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. And then he says, and such were some of you. So see, there's salvation for everyone. But salvation begins with repentance and admit, confession that this is not God's will for our lives or for our culture. This is not what we want our children to be raised in. This is not what we want in our families. But you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. And then one more, 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. You have to see this is in the New Testament. There's many other places. But in 1 Timothy chapter 1, it says in verse 8, 1 Timothy 1, 8, it says, uh, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Did you know you can use the law unlawfully? It's done every day. But it's good if one uses it lawfully. Realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. Because what we see in chapter 9 when Jesus is coming back is the law. We don't see grace in chapter 9 towards this world. The grace has been extended for over 2,000 years, and people have rejected it. So the law comes back in, and he brings judgment. And it says, uh, uh, I guess I shouldn't say his judgment isn't his grace, because it is his grace also, but it's his grace towards us. But for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, do you agree that that's bad? Everybody does. For murderers, everybody knows that's bad. But what about for the immoral men? That's that word pornos again. What about for the homosexuals and kidnappers? Oh, yeah, everybody knows kidnapping's bad. But you see, anything that has to do with sex in these scriptural uh, uh, lists, as a culture, we've said that that which is evil is now called good. And what was called good is now called evil. And did not, we began with Romans 1. Did not Paul say that that is the very sign that God has turned us over to ourselves? That God's just taken his hands off and said, okay, just have at it. If you want it this way, then you're going to have it this way, and you're going to fill up the cup of my wrath. 
So go back with me over to, in First Timothy, by the way, it says that these things are contrary to sound teaching. Don't be embarrassed to teach the truth. Don't, be, don't feel like you need to say what the world wants to hear said about things. You speak the truth, but you do it with love. You do it with grace. In fact, you don't really love people if you won't tell them the truth. But you speak that truth with love. And, and it's actually the only sound teaching. Everything else is crazy. It's absolutely nuts. It's just absolutely bonkers what's happening in the world today. And so when we go back over to Revelation chapter 19... I said all that, went off on that tangent longer than I expected, but I think the Holy Spirit just wanted me to go over those scriptures with you. Because we, we have to get back to the Bible. We have to get back to the truth of God's word. Uh, when we go back over to chapter 19, here's what I want to say to you in conclusion of that. Okay, I'm raising children in this world. One of them sitting back there. One of them's at home because he doesn't feel well tonight. He's watching on TV, supposedly, with his mom. Hi. And uh, I'm raising children, and I've raised other children who are adults that are raising children, grandchildren, right? And I, I, I'm telling you, I'm just fed up. I mean, I'm being honest with you. I'm just literally fed up with the culture that I have to raise them in. It, it, it just, it, you know, back when we had the, uh, uh, the vote to outlaw prostitution in our county. But that's just a no-brainer. Of course you should outlaw prostitution. It's stupid. I mean, we're just, we're just enslaving people and making money off of that. Of course we should outlaw prostitution. I just, I, it broke my heart on the inside that so many of our leaders wanted to keep prostitution because of the money. And 85% of the voters said, we want to keep prostitution. And I remember that day, I thought, i got to get out of this place. But God said, no, I've called you to be in this place. But you feel like Lot in Sodom. And it says he was vexed day in and day out. Vexed means he was fed up with it. I don't want to lose my family lost his family. Do you? I don't want to lose my family. And the, everything is designed today. The strategy of Satan is to steal our children, to steal our grandchildren, to destroy our families. It says so right there in chapter 12. That this is a war. This is a conspiracy. People say, oh, it's not a conspiracy. Somebody told me that in our own church. That's not a conspiracy. Yes, it is. Read chapter 12 of Revelation. There is a satanic conspiracy to destroy the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's playing out right before our eyes. And we're so stupid, we're just letting it happen. I'm not saying you're stupid. But you understand, as a church, we've got to wake up. We've got to get back to the Bible, and we've got to speak the truth. Because I don't, you know, I don't want to lose my children. I know, like I said, I grew up and born, raised in the sexual revolution, blah, blah, all that stuff, all those TV shows we used to have, you know, and they always were. But, but it was nothing like what, what our kids are surrounded by today. Nothing. You know, the things that our kids just know, that they see in the Internet, that they see and hear about from other kids, Nobody talked about those things when I was growing up. And we talked about a lot of things, but not the things they see and they know today. And it's evil. It's really evil. And the, 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 you know that it's working, too. Satan's plan is working. Because you go talk to young people. You can talk to them. And you can say, you know, something about, like, well, <laughs> when I was selling wristbands at the fair, uh, a guy came in dressed up like a girl, really trying to look like a girl. But it was so obvious. It always is. And, then, and I was like, Ugh, here's your wristbands kind of thing. You know, I, didn't, I wasn't mean or anything like that. In fact, after this person left, I just prayed in my heart that, 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 this, that, God's, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would come to this person because he obviously doesn't know. God's plan for his life. He's just lost. And uh, later, I was saying something about that to somebody who will remain unnamed, and it's not anybody here tonight or anything like that. It doesn't matter. It was just a young person. And this is many times has happened and to, to me. And then they, they always say something back like this. Well, you know, that's just how some people are, and we should just put up with that. And, and you know, it, you know they, they personally know that that's wrong, okay? 
theoretically. But they are being indoctrinated with that's okay. I'm okay, you're okay. Live and let live. You know, whatever they're doing, it doesn't affect us. But that's not true. The land will spew us out, it says. God said. It does affect us. It's actually very important. And, the, and I'm, you know, there, there's nothing in what I'm saying is a call to action and march on Washington or anything like this. It's a call to repentance in our own hearts, in our own family. Because when that day comes, I'll tell you this tonight, and let this be my last word. <laughs> Actually, I'll sum up some of the sort of stuff. But when that day comes, I, I've, I'm already so fed up that I'm telling you, I'm going to be rejoicing. I'm going to be so happy to see Babylon fall. And I'm not even ashamed to say that because I'm sick of what it's been doing to my kids, to my grandkids, to people in this church, to people that I know all around. I'm just sick of it. Do you realize, and I'm not touting Russia, but I'm just telling you, because I know this, that that, 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 that stuff was all making the inroads in Russia too. And he, this is just truth. It's not conspiracy theory. Truth that I have firsthand experience and can tell you because we worked with government agencies with kids, that George Soros money was pushing it all in Russia. It, huge, okay? And Russian people just got fed up with it. And they passed a law that makes it illegal to... Um, deal in propaganda of homosexuality with teenagers. And so any movie that comes out here that's got homosexuality in it, and they want people to watch it there, before they ever send it over there, they're not sending them now because of sanctions, but Hollywood would cut out the, you know, they, they sent the Elton John movie over there, the one that came out recently. Cut out all the scenes <laughs> that, that would have made that movie unwatchable by teenagers. And people in America think, oh, that's terrible. You know, that's censorship. Look, that, that's actually awesome that we're not allowing young people to see these things. Because you, you try, as a parent, to stop that from encroaching on the minds of your children. It's, it's, it's nigh on impossible. Because it's, we're, it's like you're swimming in it today. It's so around us everywhere. And... And that's why all we can do, the best we can do, and all they could do in the first century is preach the word of God, but preach it in truth. Because there's something about the real thing that just blows away a counterfeit. When people see real love, when people see the truth, they're not interested in counterfeits anymore. You know, we've got a culture today that is so drugged up. I don't need to talk about it. Everybody in here knows that. I saw in the news today that more people in the United States today smoke marijuana than smoke tobacco, that, that we've crossed that line. And I'm not saying smoking tobacco was good, okay? We don't have billboards for tobacco, do we? Nobody's got a Marlboro billboard in their town anymore or in their magazine or on TV, but we got ads for pot everywhere, okay? Because we're so drugged. Why are we so drugged up? Because we're lost. Because we don't know what to do. And people are just giving up. They're quitting. And we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it begins with us joining the side of the stadium that's cheering about the fall of Babylon. So I want to call you tonight to begin to cheer about the fall of Babylon. To begin to be hallelujah about the coming of the kingdom of God. And excited about his righteousness being established on this earth so that that can be established in our lives today. Okay, so... I want to just read two more verses, and I'm going to stop. It's verses 7 and 8. It says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. That's us. A lot of times we think about him making us ready, right? Well, notice that's true also, but notice that it says we made ourselves ready. We got ready. Try to think. If that marriage supper of the Lamb came today, how ready am I? You know, I, you know, I think men do this too. I did anyway. When you know you're getting married, you try to lose some weight and fit into something and get a nice hairdo and learn how to dance or something, right? Because <laughs> it's your wedding day. Well, I know women do that especially. You know, it's your wedding day. You know, <laughs> you don't want to show up at the altar, you know, with your old stinky clothes on. It says the bride made herself ready. That means she cleansed herself. She prepared herself. It was given to her 
to clothe herself in fine linen so you don't have to go out and buy it. It's right here, the grace of God, the power of God, the fine linen, the righteousness of God in Christ. Remember what Paul said, some of you were on this list, but you're not anymore because you've been saved by the blood of Jesus. So start living like you're not on the list anymore. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Jesus Christ came to our earth. He came to our house. He came into this sin and into this world, and he paid the price to ransom us from our father, who was, who was the devil. Remember, Jesus said, your father is the devil. We gave our allegiance to the devil when we gave our allegiance to sin. But Jesus came and broke us out of that house that we had been adopted by our sin into and brought us back to our real father. It's the ultimate fairy tale, the ultimate happy ending, what he did for us. And here we read that in his coming, he takes us up into heaven, to his heavenly father, into that cloud of glory. And when he returns, we will return together with him to redeem the earth for his father and to establish his kingdom on this earth. In other words, to reestablish the house of God on this earth, to reestablish the garden of Eden upon this earth, the way things were meant to be. That is our marriage. It says that Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Our faith in Jesus Christ and our faithfulness to him. All the things I talked to you about tonight, again, it's not a tangent because Paul lays it out as a foundation for understanding what's happening in the world around us. And it makes it easy for us to see. We could have talked about a lot of different areas, but you see it with that. That if we can walk as a people in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation, as it says in the scripture, without doing the things that the Canaanites do, and allow ourselves to lift our heads high, and maybe being proud isn't the right word, you know, but it's hard to find another word in English. Be proud that we're Christians. Be proud that we're different. Be proud of who God has made us in Christ Jesus and pledge our allegiance to heaven. Pledge our allegiance to Jesus Christ. Then our faithfulness to him, it is our righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that's what we clothe ourselves in, in these righteous acts, the righteous acts of the saints. Amen. So let's stand together. I'll, I'll finish up chapter 19 next week and... Probably go. The, the first part of chapter 20 deals with the second coming of Christ. So I think if the Lord <laughs> doesn't add anything onto it, we'll put all that together next, next Tuesday evening. Father, I just uh, thank you uh, for the coming of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you, Jesus, that these 2,000 years has been but two days to you. I thank you, Jesus, that you've tarried, because none of us would have been born if you had come back any sooner. I thank you that you've allowed us to live in this age, and it's not an age to be afraid. I think oftentimes, Lord, we've been holding back and we haven't wanted to go into the, to the fray, go into the battle. But let us take our, our cue from these two witnesses that we read about in Jerusalem, that we would go forth with your sharp two-edged sword, which is your word. We would speak your truth. We would be the church militant, and we would stand for that truth in this generation. Lord, I doubt any of us are going to stand before some Caesar like Paul ended up doing toward the end of his life. Uh, but, but that doesn't matter. Everyone has their own call, their own place. Maybe all we'll be able to do in this life is just stand in some little church in some little place in our little families. But I think of people like uh, Valerie de Groot, who, when she moved away from here, not until she went through that experience and was healed and moved away from here, did I realize what a really true and great woman of God she was and how great an influence she had had on this church and on the lives of so many people. Or a woman like Edna Chisholm, you know, who just, whose life just affected so many people. We don't know. We won't know until we get to heaven, I think. How many lives have been affected by the life we lived? And it doesn't matter. We're just your servants. And at the end of the day, we just say to you, we're just servants. We just did what you told us to do, Lord. Whatever you want to do with us, that's up to you. But we, Lord, if we're, 
uh, we just want to stand. We want to stand strong. We don't want to be like the Canaanites. We don't want to be like the people of this earth, Lord. And, and I pray that we can stand in a way that we're not just preaching to our kids, but we're a living example to them. And not just our kids, but our grandkids and the people around us in this life. Lord, like the old thing they, they say about counterfeit money, you know, when cashiers are, are learning the difference between the two, they don't give them counterfeit money to handle. They give them real money to handle. So when the counterfeit shows up, they know it right away. Lord, it's easy to know the counterfeit when you know what the real thing is. And Lord, I pray that we would be that real thing, that we would be real Christians, Lord. Draw our attention back to these four hallelujahs and the rejoicing that comes when Babylon finally falls. And let us begin to rejoice in the crumbling and the destruction of Babylon and not be trying to prop up all the Babylon around us in this world, Lord, uh, but uh, just uh, rejoicing in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, we want to be on the right side of the stadium. We want to be cheering for the winning team, Lord. And if we don't get in those seats now, it might be too late later. Lord, let us just get on in there and begin to cheer for the kingdom of God and join that great host of cloud of witnesses who is in heaven today, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for your second coming, that you're coming again very soon. And we're waiting for that day. And we give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvinionfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.